this morning said yeah let's do that <laughs> welcome everybody we're so glad to see you it's always good to see the Stevenson family with us just fill up a whole row for us we love it <laughs> and uh, if you are a visitor we want to especially make you feel welcome today we're so glad that you came out to worship with your church family and if you're online welcome also uh, uh, we are Wednesday night we will be having Bible study at 6.30 with Carbon Adams. And then also we want to be sure and put on our calendars that next Sunday we back up an hour, set your clock one hour back before you go to bed on Saturday night. And then next Sunday, we'll, uh, Sunday the 14th, we'll be having a church council meeting also. And if you are a visitor, if you would be kind enough to fill out a little connect card and uh, just you can put it back there in the slot where we have our ties and uh, we'll pick it up and want to be sure and get a word to you and thank you for coming with us. And also, as I said, the giving box is back there. There are numerous ways we can give and I want to applaud you all for your constant giving. It makes a difference in how our church runs. You can give it online, you can give it in a box, and you could use the old U.S. mail if you want to. We just hope and pray that you continue to do so. I was informed there would be a short video about our Christmas boxes right now. If you'll watch that, please. This is for a boy between 9 and 11. I'm in a place called Katakush, just outside of Mosul. This is a, a church that was completely destroyed uh, by ISIS. As we were coming through one of our team, I discovered one of the Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. I don't know who gave it, who sent it, but uh, it touched the life of a child at one point. And of course we ask people when they pack a box to always pray. You never know where that box will go. Where are the lost? Where are the hardest to get to people groups? Where has the gospel of Jesus not been preached and proclaimed? In Acts 13, 47, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. 
we live in a broken world, an evil world. Yet Jesus gave us orders. He said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a job to do. When we talk about going to the ends of the earth, we're talking about shoebox gifts that are taking the gospel to the hardest to reach areas of the world. If you want to bring hope to a broken society, it's the gospel. An Operation Christmas Child is not about passing out toys, it's about the gospel. Each kid, when they receive that box, they're gonna hear the presentation of the gospel clearly. They make a decision for Christ, and then they're trained and equipped to go out and share the faith with others. And many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now. We're in the South Pacific. I want to reach these islands for Christ. These are poor areas. People don't have any hope. People don't come here. There's no tourists here. But we're going to be here. I'm right outside of Mazlan, Mexico, about six-hour drive up in the mountains with Operation Christmas Child. This is where people that are brave are taking Operation Christmas Child to the ends of the earth. We need boxes that are packed by families, by churches and groups, but we also need boxes that are packed online. When you build a shoebox online, these are the boxes that give us access into hard to reach places of the world. We go at great lengths, great effort, to take these boxes to children in the most remote parts of the world. It's an incredible journey. You know, the mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus. Children are coming to faith. Children are being discipled. And children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you do not care to make up a box for your, yourself, to go with this, feel free to contribute toward the postage. You can just make your check out to Cypress Street Church of God and simply put it on the, on the lower line that it is for the Christmas box postage. We're keeping that separate so that when we gather it all, we can give it to Zanya and Mitchell to assist in sending these out. Vicki shared this devotion with me this week, and I thought... It was fitting for us to share it this morning. We're not living in a world that we used to live in. There are a lot of changes. And this kind of just encourages us. It's based on one of the Psalms, 46. It said, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. This stated, don't be afraid to be happy because you are mine. You can expect to experience some happiness even in this broken world. Yet anxiety sometimes intrudes upon your carefree moments. You start wondering if there are things you should be doing are plans you should be making. Your underlying feeling is that it is safe to let down your guard and simply be happy in the moment. My child, how wrong is that? I have called you to cease striving. Let go, relax, 
and know that I am God. You may think that you need to have all your ducks in a row before you can relax and enjoy my presence. But consider the overall context of this command. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the psalmist who penned these words was describing terrifying catastrophe. So you don't need to wait till you've solved all the problems in your life. This very moment is the right time to enjoy me. Come boldly into my presence saying, Jesus, I choose to enjoy you here and now. Let's stand together and join in this beautiful song, Great Are You, Lord. song.
song just brings the kindergarten out in me. It's just so cute. You just want to do it and it makes you just feel so much better just to hear it, doesn't it? <laughs> Our speaker today is going, is Scott Lamb. We've, we've grown to love Scott and Rebecca so very much and appreciate all their assistance in, in this interim time of our service. We have a number of prayer requests this morning. One that is not listed is little Annie. You know, you probably got to notice that Annie had lost her brother. Well, little Annie ended up in the hospital last night running blood, high blood pressure. And uh, she has a bad back and congested heart as well. So she truly needs our prayers that uh, God will just touch her and she'll feel his presence. Let's have a word of prayer before Scott comes. Father, we ask you to meet us here today. We want you to bless Scott. May he feel that every word that comes from his lips, you send his way. And that we will listen attentively so that when we leave this place, we will have met you. And this next week, because of that, will be a better week and we can be better witnesses for thee. We ask in thy precious name, amen. I wish I knew that song. I would just go ahead and bust into song there. <laughs> Thankful for the introduction. You mentioned that song brings out the kindergarten in you. Were you a kindergarten teacher? Okay, you seem like you would have been a great teacher. <laughs> so we appreciate the, uh, the leaders who've helped us uh, to be able to worship this morning. Glad that you're here. I'm glad to be able to be back with you. We had a good time last night out at... Uh, Marlin and Charlotte, so appreciate the invitation last week to go to that. Those of you who didn't come, y'all missed out on a treat. It was a good time. So um, it was good to be over here last night and then again this morning with you. So today uh, we are continuing the I Am series that um, as we study the seven I Am statements of Jesus that's found in the Gospel of John. So far we've looked at the first two, I Am the Bread of Life from John chapter 6, and I am the light of the world, from John chapters 8 and 9. So as the bread of life, 
Jesus was trying to help people understand that he is the spiritual food that gives life to the world. That was verse 33 of chapter 6. He gives life to the world. Not just temporary physical satisfaction for our stomachs. Not just temporary physical satisfaction of hunger. But bread that sustains life for eternity. One may eat of it and not die. Verse 50 said. So that was the first week. And then uh, the second one was as the light of the world. As the light of the world, Jesus promises that his followers will not walk in darkness. Remember that verse from last week? But will have the light of life. That's uh, chapter 8, verse 12. So in both instances, Jesus not only proclaims who he is, metaphorically, but he also backs it up illustratively and even miraculously, as we read, with something that he does. In the first two cases we studied, that something that he does was performing miracles. He performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000, saying, I am the bread of life. And he performed the miracle of giving sight to the man that was born blind. Remember that? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So Jesus used these miracles to drive home the point and prove that he is who he was claiming to be. Now, although many believed, still many refused to believe or could not quite grasp it. But Jesus promised that those who believed in him would have eternal life. So this week we're, we're moving on to chapter 10. Chapter 10 of John for the third and fourth. We're going to try to get two in today. For the third and fourth I am statements of Jesus. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. So both of these are found together in uh, chapter 10. Now I'll be honest, of all these I am statements, maybe these are the ones that I kind of struggle with the most. As far as being able to feel like I'm, I confidently can kind of grasp the meaning of it and follow the metaphors and all that. And, um, but I feel like God gave me this uh, directive, so to speak, of uh, presenting these I am statements to you. So I'm not going to not present this one just because I can't quite maybe feel confident about it. I don't want to give the devil the victory in this. So how about it? Y'all ready to get in God's Word this morning and, uh, and read about Jesus' statements about being the door and being the good shepherd? I'm going to ask you to really try to tune into the Holy Spirit for guidance this morning and, um, and do as was, I was prayed for already, that the words that come out of my lips will be uh, directed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will help you to be able to grasp the, what He wants you to grasp today. I've said before that uh, my, I don't pretend to know everything and understand everything about Scripture. You've seen that my sermon presentation style is pretty simplistic. So um, I'm, I just trust that the Spirit will guide me in it. Um, while I'm on that subject, let me make a point before we get to the, the main part of this sermon. The truth of Scripture does not rely on me understanding it, right? And does not rely on you understanding it. Um, it is the truth. Whether we fully understand it or not doesn't determine if it is true or not. Scripture is infallible and true. Any amens on that? Right. 
We can't let our comprehension of it or our lack thereof deter us from it. On the contrary, that should be what motivates us to study it all the more and seek the Holy Spirit to guide us in truth. You following me on that? All right, so let's, let's get in and try to uh, see what the Holy Spirit has to tell us through this, this passage today in John. I'm going to read John chapter 10. I'm just going to go ahead and start in verse 1, even though we're going to focus a little further down later. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now here Jesus, um, in the previous chapter we read last week about Jesus healing the blind man. And remember all the religious leaders were questioning him. How did all this happen? You know, he really can't be who he says he is. And, and he said, I don't know. All I knew, I used to not be able to see and now I can see. And he's the one that did it. And um, anyway, it, it goes on. And now Jesus is kind of um, talking back to these Pharisees who are questioning who he is. And, and he's kind of using this imagery of um, those who enter the fold by climbing in some other way, by being a thief and a robber. Verse 2, But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's stop there in verse 15. I know that was a lot of reading there, but I wanted to kind of give the, um, the full picture of it there. Sheep and shepherds. <laughs> sheep and shepherds. Anyone have to take care of their sheep before they came to service this morning? All right. <laughs> and I don't think so, right? When was the last time you even gave second thought to sheep uh, or shepherds? Possibly when we're gathering our things together and rummaging through the closet and getting ready for the Christmas play. We've got to find our shepherd costumes, right? Or, or maybe uh, the last time you, um, you thought about sheep was when you saw that Serta mattress commercial, you know, with the counting sheep. <laughs> the counting sheep that are, you know, which ones? They're famous, you know. 
I, I saw that um, I was looking that up to make sure I had the right mattress company. I saw that um, they, those sheep were selected a few years ago as the Madison Avenue advertising icon of the year. Wow. <laughs> so they were made stars by putting out of, being put out of business by the Serta Mattress Company. Because why? We, we count sheep to go to sleep, right? And they said, you don't even have to count sheep anymore. They're, they're being put out of business. If you have a mattress as good as ours, you know, the sheep. So sheep, we don't really think about them that much, do we? Our shepherds. I hope that you're not counting them today and falling asleep on me <laughs> during the sermon. Hang with me. What can we get from this passage of Scripture this morning? Why sheep and shepherds? Jesus spoke using imagery that was familiar to the people he was speaking to. Imagery of sheep, a sheep pen, and a shepherd. These statements of Jesus that we read in John chapter 10 were, were no doubt meaningful to his immediate audience of that day. They could relate to this word picture. Now, although we may not be able to relate to it as directly, I am grateful that John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to include this in his gospel account for us today. And it even is for us today, right? We can see and get a glimpse into more about who Jesus is even though we might think we're kind of far removed from a life where we could really relate to that, we can get some insight into the identity of who Jesus is for us today. In the previous I Am statements about the bread and the light from the last two weeks, they're probably more relatable to us. We understand bread being food, being food that sustains life, and we're familiar with light shining into darkness making things revealed, making them visible for us to be able to see. But what about sheep and shepherds <laughs> and doors to the sheep pen and such things like that? My closest relationship to sheep is that my last name is Lamb. <laughs> but that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> I've never owned or worked with sheep and don't have a history of hands-on experience with sheep. Maybe you do. But even if we don't have hands-on experience, we live in an age where everything, information we want to find is at the tip of our fingers, right? We can find information. So let's not use our lack of experience with this topic as an excuse to not really get into it and try to learn about it, right? You would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised, to find out how much information there is about there out there in cyberspace about sheep. Really, just, uh, you don't have to, but you could go home and look it up. But in preparing for this sermon, I tried to read up some about sheep and shepherds, and there's a lot of publications with information about sheep you wouldn't believe. It's overwhelming. But I read a good bit from various sources, not just Bible-related, and many articles and excerpts from books. They seem to paint a pretty consistent picture about sheep, that agrees with what we find in Scripture. A few little factoids I found. Of course, sheep are an animal of prey. They're not a predator. They're prey, right? 
And because of that, they have a natural instinct to flee from danger. That's part of their natural instinct. But the way that they flee from danger or try to protect themselves from danger is driven by their herding or their, their flocking instinct, which means that they just band together or they huddle up together. Now, this isn't necessarily very effective at resisting their predators, so they often fall prey to them. And that's why it's important to have a protector, to have a shepherd, someone who can take care of them. Another um, instinct that they have is they are followers. Right, let me just uh, read this so I don't get it wrong. This is from a little um, reference that I found about this. It says, uh, sheep have a strong instinct to follow the sheep in front of them. When one sheep decides to go somewhere, the rest of the flock usually follows, even if it's not a good decision. For example, sheep will follow each other even to slaughter. I mean, think about that. If one sheep jumps over a cliff, and I don't know how true this is, but if one sheep jumps over a cliff, the others are likely to follow. Hmm, interesting. Even from birth, lambs are conditioned to follow the older members of the flock. This instinct is hardwired into sheep. It's not something they think about. It's just something they do. Due to their strong flocking instinct and failure to act independently of one another, sheep have been universally branded stupid. You might have heard that. You know, they're just stupid animals. And then it goes on to say, but sheep are not stupid. Their only protection from predators is to band together and follow the sheep in front of them. If a predator is threatening the flock, this is not the time to act independently. So their instinct is just to get together, and that's, that's what's going to protect them. It doesn't always do it, but that's uh, their best protection that they have, unless they have someone like a shepherd who can be a protector for them. So uh, it says that sheep really aren't as stupid as we, <laughs> as we might think. And this is interesting. I'll throw this one in for uh, grins and giggles. A study of sheep psychology has found that man's woolly friend can remember the faces of more than 50 other sheep for up to two years. Now, how would you have liked to have been that scientist who was doing this study? <laughs> so, um, but it's interesting. It says they can even recognize a familiar human face. So they have recognition skills. Um, and it goes on to say, the hidden talents of sheep revealed by this study published in the journal Nature suggests that they may be nearly as good at, as people at distinguishing faces in a crowd. So it's kind of interesting. I think it's going to go along a little bit also with what our scripture says about them being able to identify. I wish the study would have included being able to identify voices and not just identifying faces. Because that's what the scripture says, right? That the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they know his voice. They can recognize that and they follow him. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to put in there. We find in the Bible that sheep are used to symbolically refer to God's people. Psalm 23, for example, the Lord is my shepherd. So the Lord is my shepherd God is depicted as shepherd. His people are his sheep, his people. 
And then, of course, what we're reading now, um, the Bible also depicts sheep as the followers of Christ, which we're reading in John 10. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, equating himself to God. Jesus said, oh, this just infuriated the Pharisees. Jesus was saying, I am the good shepherd. And they're saying, God is the shepherd. Who are you saying that you're the shepherd? All right, Jesus knew how to rile them up, didn't he? But he was saying, I am the good shepherd. And he was equating himself to God here. And also we are, as followers of Christ, we are the sheep in the scenario here. So there's no argument that sheep are common and that Jesus' audience could relate to the metaphorical speech that Jesus was using here. Now, common to refer to sheep is probably an understatement. Even in our modern times, now it was several years ago now, but I found a little quip. From 1982, it said there were over 70 million sheep in New Zealand alone. That was one, that was 22 sheep for every person there. Wow. They're kind of overrun with them. In 2011, the total number of sheep in the world was approximated at over 1 billion. So sheep are not uncommon to us, are they? Sheep have been around for a long time and have been part of the human story for about as long as there has been a story. Remember, even we read in Genesis chapter 4 that the first people, Adam and Eve, their son, Abel, was a shepherd. Genesis chapter 4 says, he tended the flocks. So sheep have been domesticated for a long time, which came about easy because of their mild nature and all that. We won't get into any more of that. Sheep are mentioned in the Bible more than 500 times, more than any other animal. And don't forget the shepherds, right? We can read through Scripture and find lots of shepherds. That's just what you have to have when there's so many sheep. From Abraham to Isaac and Jacob to Joseph and his brothers and even Moses, all shepherds at some point. And of course, David, maybe the most famous shepherd of all Scripture. Writing Psalm 23. And of course, the shepherds, as we're getting into the getting close to the Christmas season, be thinking about this, the shepherds were the first ones to be able to uh, witness the newborn Christ. So the familiarity to the subject is there. The relatability of Jesus' audience is there. And Jesus proceeds with these I am statements. Now remember last week when we read about I am the light of the world, we talked about John the Baptist, and he said that um, he wasn't the true light, but Jesus was the true light. He was just a witness to the light. But there was something else that John the Baptist said about Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And of course, this refers to Jesus as being the ultimate spotless sacrificial Lamb who gives His life once and for all for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of the sin of the world. But now, it's fitting, of course, but now we see Jesus painting another picture related to sheep to reveal his identity. In our text today, he's saying that he is the door. 
to the sheep, to the sheep pen, and he is the shepherd. While the people could relate, we see in verse 6 that I read that even they had a little trouble with this one. John uh, chapter 10 verse 6 says, This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. And then it goes on in verse 7, So Jesus said to them again. So I confess, as I did earlier, all of this, uh, and when I first started this uh, series about I am, I said the metaphors, Jesus doesn't mix his metaphors up. And that, uh, that we will follow him. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm kind of having a little, a little trouble following this one. I confess with all the, uh, the things about the doorkeeper and the door. So one time he says he's the door. Another time he says he's the shepherd. And I said, God, help me with this. So let's get into this and let's, uh, let's see what we can, what we can um, gather from Jesus' statements. Are you ready? All right, let's reread verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And I want us just to go directly to verse 9 and get as simple as we can to what Jesus is saying here. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Not to mince words. That's pretty straightforward. We don't really have to try to peel back a lot of deep layers about what all these meanings are. But to look directly at what he said, anyone who enters through the door, which is me, will be saved. Will be saved. What is, uh, what is he saying here? To help us understand this metaphor, let me uh, share with you something that I read from uh, Michael Haldeman something he published about how shepherding may have been practiced back in the culture of the Middle East of Jesus' day. I think uh, it'll help us with this. He says, Sheep will spend their entire day grazing, wandering from place to place, never looking up. As a result, they often become lost. Unlike some other animals, sheep aren't naturals at finding their way home. But by nature, sheep are followers, which we said already, which can be a good or a bad thing, depending on who is leading them, right? If the shepherd gets to them, they can follow him to safety. So the sheep are totally dependent upon the shepherd who takes care of them, has compassion on them, leads them to safe places where they can graze and they can be fed, and then makes them lie down. Remember how Psalm 23 says? Makes them lie down and, uh, and rest. And then as night comes, the shepherd would lead the sheep to the protection of a sheepfold. And this is the part I wanted to read that may help us with this metaphor. He says, there were two kinds of sheepfolds or pens in the ancient Middle Eastern culture. One kind was a public sheepfold found in the cities and villages. It would be large enough to hold several flocks of sheep. So you got the picture there? This sheep pen would be in the care of a porter or a doorkeeper. And I think that's what we were reading in that first part that Jesus was talking about. Because he talked about the doorkeeper opens it up. The sheep, uh, for the shepherd to come in, the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. 
So there's a, a doorkeeper who's kind of uh, keeping a lot of different flocks in this one pen. And then the shepherd comes and takes them out to pasture. So um, the shepherds would call their sheep, each, each of which knew its own shepherd's voice and would lead them out to pasture. So remember, that's those recognition skills that the sheep has. So the second kind of sheep pen was in the countryside where the shepherds would keep their flocks during times of good weather. This type of sheep pen was nothing more than a rough circle of rocks piled into a wall with a small open space to enter. Okay, so I'm reading this. I don't want to lose you. I can, I, you can tend to lose an audience when you're just reading. So, so can, you, can you picture this? You're out in the pasture land, and they just have these large rocks built up as like a wall around and make a pen out of that. And then that's where the shepherd would lead their sheep to go into the sheepfold at night for safety and protection. Um, it says there was a small open space to enter. Through it, the shepherd would drive the sheep at nightfall. Since there was no gate to close, just an opening, the shepherd would keep the sheep in and the wild animals out by lying across the open space. Now, you may have heard this this illustration before. It may not be new to you, but I thought that was just awesome. That here I am kind of grappling with the idea of Jesus being the door and Jesus being the shepherd, but here he is one and the same. He is the shepherd and he is the door. He's lying across that opening there and through which the sheep go in for safety and for protection. And he's also keeping the predators out to, uh, to keep the sheep safe. So I thought that was a, a great picture and I was uh, glad to be able to find that to help me get some understanding of it. I hope it helped you like it helped me. So the shepherd would lie across the opening and in essence literally be the door to the pen and also the shepherd. Jesus is telling us in this context that he's not only the shepherd of the sheep but also the door of the sheep. Jesus said, I am the door. When he said that, he's reiterating the fact that only through him, I am the door. Only through him is salvation found. He compares himself to the religious leaders who he says are thieves and robbers. <laughs> but he says, one who believes the gospel and repents of sin is assured of being in the fold, his fold, and of having entered by the door. He is the door. And as followers of Christ, Jesus is both our shepherd and the door who provides for all our needs. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Verse 11, we see that. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just as he said, I am the door, the only way to salvation. He says, I am the good shepherd. Not just simply a good shepherd, but the good shepherd. And he's equating himself to God here. As I said earlier, Jesus is making a contrast between himself and the religious leaders, the Pharisees. 
He compares them to a hired hand here. Let me read that. Verse 12 says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. So Jesus is making a contrast here saying, I am the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd. These others that have come before me, trying to lead you to a place of where you're um, safe in the Father's hand, so to speak, they are not the true way. They are not the true way. And they will, in it for their own good, they will desert you when it comes down to it. To better understand the purpose of a shepherd during ancient times of Jesus, it's helpful to realize that sheep are defenseless and dependent upon the shepherd. Sheep are always subject to danger and must always be under the watchful eye of the shepherd as they graze. In fact, the shepherds were frequently subjected to grave danger and sometimes even giving their lives to protect their sheep. I think of David who was under the danger when the wild animals were attacking his flock and he was able to fight them off. Jesus, likewise, gave his life on the cross as the good shepherd for his own sheep. That's us, right? The Son of Man, this is Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In proclaiming that he's the good shepherd, Jesus speaks of laying down his life for his sheep. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful this morning that he did so? The life that we have is because of what the good shepherd did for us. He could have saved his own life, but he chose not to. He chose to lay it down so that we could have life. So we've seen today that Jesus proclaims that he is the door and he is the good shepherd. And to follow that metaphor, we are the sheep. We are his sheep. How can we apply that to ourselves this morning, to our lives today? Jesus said, I am the door. In doing so, he points out the exclusive nature of salvation by saying that he is the door. And we'll get into this a little later in another statement where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Remember that one? It kind of goes along with this. But he is the door, not just a door. He is the only door by which we may enter and be saved and be granted eternal life. Now, do we believe that? Do we, do we believe that in our lives in that way? Do we live our lives like we believe it? Or do we believe that there are other ways to salvation? and to eternal life with our Heavenly Father. What other ways, what other doors might we think there are? Maybe works. Maybe, maybe just trying to do our best and be a good person. Maybe just trying to keep track of all, all the wrong that we do and then try to do just a little bit more good so that the scale tips in our favor, right? We kind of have mindsets like that sometimes of ways that doors that we can go through for salvation. But Jesus says, no, let me save you some trouble. 
I am the only way. I am the only way to salvation and to life. I am the door. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 echoes this when Peter, remember this, full of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to the leaders and the elders that were there. And he said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Of course, he was speaking of Jesus. So this is not popular speech in today's world, is it? Matter of fact, some would call it hate speech. That you say, wait, Jesus is the only way? So, do we believe Jesus is the door to salvation and life? Read verse 9 and 10 again. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This sets up the contrast between the thief, the destroyer, and Jesus, the life giver. Jesus declares that he is the only way to salvation and to the fullness of life. But who's the thief? And what does it mean that he comes to steal and kill and destroy? The Greek word for thief used in John chapter 10 means one who steals. Makes sense, huh? One who steals. Figuratively, the same Greek word is used to refer to false teachers. False teachers, wow. Anyone who claimed a way of salvation other than Jesus was robbing the people of truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way to salvation. False teachers who would try to go around that, maybe go past the door and climb over the other way, go around Jesus, bypass Jesus, they are robbing, they are thieves, robbing the people of the truth, of the real means of salvation, which is through Jesus alone. It's hard for a lot of people to swallow on that because there's so many different ideas about what is the truth. We have to come to the point where we say we believe it. And this is how we live it. False teachers are thieves who may claim to offer salvation, but their intentions are not good. They're in it for themselves. And they're carrying out Satan's intentions, which always lead to death and destruction. We're not free of false teachers today. Jesus was speaking about false teachers then, but even today we're not free. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2, There will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. That's 2 Peter chapter 2. I think it's New Living or something. And all this brings me to my next life application for us this morning and what we'll close with. As sheep, who are we listening to? Who are we following? 
chapter uh, 10 that we were just in, verse 4, says, The sheep follow him because they know his voice. It is by knowing truth, knowing God's voice, that we can defend against the deceptions of those who would seek to steal and kill and destroy. Life is in Jesus and in Him alone. So with so many voices competing for our attention, they do, don't they? There's a lot of voices competing for our attention. It can be hard to distinguish some from others. Harmful from helpful. Dangerous from safe. Truth from lies. And that's what Satan wants. He wants there to be blurred lines. He wants it to be hard for us to distinguish the voice that we're supposed to follow. Verse 4, I'll read it again. He goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Do we know Jesus' voice? How are we going to be sure that we're following him if we don't? How do we know his voice? We have to spend time with him and learn it. Of course, this begs the question that I have to honestly ask myself. How am I spending my time? How am I spending my time? Now, this is, this is a tough one, isn't it? And I'm stepping on my toes just as hard as I'm stepping on yours, probably. The sheep and the shepherd spend time together. That's just the way it is. <laughs> And that's how it works, to learn His voice, spending time with Him. As we do, His voice becomes more and more familiar and more recognizable to us. We're better able to hear Him and know His voice and have confidence to follow Him in life, that abundant life that He talks about. So one good way that we can test voices, if you're unsure, is by... Testing them against God's written word. Right, we have this right here. We have it readily available for us. It's a shame that we don't use it to test the voices that are vying for our attention to follow them. To test them, is that God? Is that God calling me that way? Test it with this. God's voice, Jesus' nudgings to you to follow him will never contradict what's in his written word. And this is a good test that we can use to hear his voice clearly. So again, we need to commit time to being in his word. How are we spending our time? The answer to that question will probably be a good clue to who we are following. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the good shepherd. The door through which we enter into salvation, enter into being part of God's flock, God's family, His people. And the good shepherd who laid down his life so that we may have life. The good shepherd who calls out to us and leads us into life. Are we ready to listen to his voice this morning? Let's listen to the shepherd's voice and follow him. Follow him into that abundant life that he promises. As the musicians come forward, I invite you just to think about that. And 
I know it may be a challenge there at the end about how we spend our time, but I think it's really true that um, learning to hear God's voice so that we can know that we're following Him requires spending some time with Him. You know, when, uh, if Rebecca calls me, she doesn't have to say, hey, Scott, this is Rebecca. <laughs> right? Uh, your wife, remember me? <laughs> you know, and she says, uh, hey, honey. Okay, I know, I recognize her voice. I know that's her. We spend time together. I know, I know her voice. And it goes the same in our relationship with God. As we spend time with Him, we're going to know His voice. We're going to be able to recognize Him and know to follow Him. And be able to have confidence that we're following Him into life. Into the life that He, that he promises us. Let's pray as we get ready to sing. Dear God, we're thankful for this, uh, this passage in John that gives us some insight into who you are, who you are to us, the door to salvation. God, the, the good shepherd that lays down his life for us that we can have life, the good shepherd that, that um, speaks to us and calls us by name, and we follow. God, uh, help us to be able to spend time building this relationship with you so that we can confidently know that we're hearing your voice and following in the ways that you lead us. How we know that way will lead us to life. Life abundantly, as you promised. God, we're thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jay, well, why don't you stand with us as we conclude our service this morning singing, Savior, like a, uh, a shepherd lead us. each and every one of the prayer requests that's listed in our bulletin 
And please be, be adding Miss Annie. Remember all these requests during this week. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for coming here with us and being with God. As he taught us that you are the good shepherd, the door, the only way to, to God's eternal home. Pray your blessings on each person who is here this morning. Give them a great week. May we feel your presence and not feel fear, but feel happy to be your child. We ask these things in your name. Amen.